Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 74. I love Innistrad. I love Innistrad so much. <laughs> Super hype podcast. I love it. Awesome spoilers uh, out of uh, Magic the Gathering today uh, with the video, uh, eldritchmoon.com. We got to see some storyline. We have on our, uh, an Eldrazi overlord. She's back. Emrakul. The promise end. As always, the cast is here. The crew is here with you. Chaz, as always, and with me, Richard. How's it going? I'm ready to meet my promised end today. (laughs) (laughs) Seth, what's up? What's up, guys? Already pre-ordering for $30. (laughs) Uh, That's great. So anyway, we have the return of Eldrazi on Innistrad. I don't know if this is going to be, you know, we get a bunch of Scion tokens or if Emrakul is really only going to be the the only Eldrazi. It kind of looks like we're going to get some weird Lovecraftian, uh, the thing, if you've seen that movie, kind of abominations of uh, the denizens of Innistrad. That, that's kind of where it looks like it's going. Um, so, yeah, on the docket, we're basically just going to be talking about Emrakul and we have some fish mail to discuss. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Eldritch Moon... <laughs> Uh, I guess it's good that we should we should talk about the actual card. So uh, let me let me just uh, read uh, Emrakul, the Promise Ends uh, card real quick. Thirteen generic, thirteen thirteen legendary creature Eldrazi. Emrakul, the Promised End. Emrakul, the Promised End costs one generic less to cast for each card type among cards in your graveyard. When you cast Emrakul, you gain control of target opponent during that player's next turn. After that turn, that player takes an extra turn. Flying, trample, protection from instance. Whew. Okay, so thoughts, initial reactions, Seth. I, I know you have a lot to say, so I want <laughs> you to go first. Uh, all right, well, as far as the card itself, I think it's pretty absurd. Like, this card is going to be really nuts and standard. A lot of people, well, some people, it's really split. Some people think it's absurd and are in my camp. Other people are like, eh, it's not really a mind slaver. I don't think it's that great. I think this card is pretty close to unbeatable in most scenarios when you just cast it for eight or nine mana. I think it's really cool and I like it. I'm a little scared that this is going to be the next like Siege Rhino or Rally the Ancestors that everyone is going to be super sick of six months from now because they're just tired. Like it's not fun to get mind slavered. Like it's fun to mind slaver other people, but when someone controls your turn and uses your own spells to kill your own creatures and does all this horrible stuff to you, it's not a lot of fun. So We'll see. I think it's going to be very good in standard. I think it's way better than the original Emrakul in standard. Although, as far as overall like brute strength power level, uh, the original Emrakul definitely takes the cake. So that's my that's my feelings on Emrakul. I think it's going to be busted. Interesting, Richard. It's okay. <laughs> I, oh, I'm not as hype as you guys. I mean, I, I agree with that. Oh. But it'll be really good in standard. But we're talking about Emrakul. Right? Emrakul is. The best creature in Magic, right? Maybe you can argue with Gristlebrand or something, right? But this Emrakul is standard playable. And it will be good in standard, but I don't see use cases in modern, uh, legacy, vintage, etc. Uh, so it doesn't live up to the hype of the original. So while it's a good card, this is not, you know, the, the best creature, period. Which, you know, I, I guess we can keep that with the original Emrakul, but it, it'd be cool to see Emrakul evolve and continue to be the best creature. But like Seth said, I think it'll be a powerhouse in standard. It's a bit weird. Uh, this one can be reanimated. Uh, it doesn't have that graveyard effect. So it has it has different properties than the original Emrakul. So that's going to be interesting to see what people come up with. Yeah, I think the, the, you had some key points, Richard. And yeah, Seth, I'm, I'm just excited as you are. <laughs> I'm like, Richard. No, but you make some great points, Richard. It, it's probably not as good as the original. Obviously, the original Emrakul is like insane, like... Who would ever think of a creature like that? It's just like too good. Right up there with Grizzlebrand. Like Grizzlebrand does insane stuff too. But yeah, I mean, I don't know about modern or anything outside of standard for that matter. But standard, I mean, at eight mana, let's just say that's going to be the average here. You know, yeah, you could get it down to eight. I mean, that's that's a lot for eight mana. And getting mind slavered. For everyone out there that hasn't played in standard when the original Mindslaver was around, getting Mindslavered really sucks. <laughs> so it really is a feel bad. Like you have no control of what's going on. Like 
it's pretty much a huge blowout, and it was a viable card back then. Like, Mind Slaver was a viable card. Honestly, it wasn't played that much because, like, Affinity was a thing, and, like, you know, it didn't really, like, ever happen. When you did get Mind Slavered in some of the uh, Tooth and Nail lists, like, it really was a blowout. We talked a lot about this in, in, in previous casts. Like, Nihiri's basically a watered-down, very telegraphed, like, sneak attack. I think we kind of all agreed on that. I, I even think the added caveat of them taking an extra turn, I think everybody kind of looks at that. It's like a super negative that they get to take an extra turn. Like you blow them out of the game that previous turn. And realistically, you still have a 13, 13 flying trample, you know, protection from instance and all that. So unless they have an immediate answer, like an end of turn stasis snare or something like that, which still deals with the Emrakul, they're still going to get mind slavered and likely still going to lose the game or very close to it. I mean, I don't foresee a lot of people coming back from getting mind slavered or emrakuled in this sense. Well, here's the problem. If you're ahead, you're right, right? Like that mind slaver just seals the deal. But if you're behind, uh you could probably still die. If you're staring down like five humans across the board and you you put down an emrakul, they're like, "Fine, take my turn. You cast declaration on one of their creatures. They still have four. They just alpha strike you." So it doesn't help you stabilize, uh, you know, like Dragonlord or Tarka or something would do that better. Uh, but if you're winning or neutral, then taking that extra turn will, will will totally hose your opponent. It's almost a win more, right? Or it's a board is clear. Let me let me throw a finisher in, but it doesn't quite stabilize as you know something like an Ulamog, uh, Ugin the Spirit Dragon used to do that. A Tarka, you know, when you spend your entire game ramping up into it, uh, you really do need to stabilize when when you hit the board. So. We'll see how that plays out, because maybe there'll be other cards to help you stabilize, and this can be your dedicated finisher. But that is the downside of not taking an extra turn yourself, because if you took your extra turn, you could draw a sweeper or something and try to sweep, or or something like that. I think the thing that drives me most crazy is people are reading that, give your opponent an extra turn too literally. They're they're seeing that, and they're like, oh, why would I ever want to give my opponent an extra turn? You're not giving them an extra turn. Like, (laughs) it was their turn next anyway. You get this, like, I get to mess with my opponent's stuff for an entire turn in between. What what if they had upkeep triggers? What if there was a howling mine? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that extra turn is relevant but you're right you get to empty their hand if you if you're able to do so but it's not like you're giving them a free turn you're not like casting a a time walk targeting your opponent like they were <laughs> yeah. gonna take a turn anyway you just get to do a lot of really powerful stuff before they take their turn do you feel like this is like something we now cheat into play with nahiri uh we talked about nahiri a little bit everyone you know is talking about nahiri now um, and while that's still a great interaction, I don't think anyone's going to debate the fact that it's not a good interaction. Is this more of like ramp into this Emrakul as fast as you can? Does this now, you know, validate delirium or madness in some sense? I feel like delirium and like discard and madness or maybe not madness, but just discard outlets in general just got a whole lot better. Richard made a great point. You can also resurrect, you can, you know, ever after or something like that onto the battlefield. And while you don't get the on-cast trigger, it's still a 13-13 flying trample. So let me throw that question back to you guys. Do you feel this is more of like, you know, build this around Nahiri or, you know, ramp into this in some sort of like delirium shell? Or does this validate delirium and discard outlets more so now? I'll start, I guess I'll start with you, Richard. You made the point. I think you'll see both. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. I still like the Nahiri plan better. I still... If Nahiri's card was uh, plus two loot ultimate deal 13 to your face, uh, that'd be a fine Planeswalker and a very strong Planeswalker at that. So I think just ripping an Emrakul out and doming someone for 13 is a solid plan. Uh, if you're playing a Nahiri deck... Uh, your ultimate would put Nahiri in the graveyard, setting you up to cast your Emrakul in the future. So I could see that as being part of the combo. I, I don't like the ramp plan as much, just because it doesn't stabilize the board. You know, will will a turn 8 Emrakul win the game? I'm not sure. You might be already dead. I, I, I like the Nahiri plan, but I can see both happening. Like, people have ramped Ulamogs. There's no reason you can't ramp an Emrakul out. Seth, what do you think? I mean, it's fine with Nahiri. I guess how I see it is if getting an Emrakul off your Nahiri is a 10 out of 10, 
we already have like nine or nine point five out of tens with like sure. Dragonlord Atarka and uh, maybe even Ulamog, depending on the board state. So is it better than those cards? Yeah, I think a little bit, but it's not so much better. Like if you get a free Atarka and kill some of your opponent's stuff and attack for eight in the air. Most games, that's going to be enough to win. I don't see too many games where, oh, that extra damage from Emrakul is the difference between winning and losing if you're already to the point of ultimating your Nahiri. So I think it's a low opportunity cost. So if you want to play an Emrakul in your Nahiri deck, it's probably something people will do because it is good. But that hasn't really been a strategy in Standard, like the cheating things in with with Nahiri hasn't really been a big deal and we already have some pretty good targets as far as delirium. I think that's just a bonus. I don't think you build a delirium deck to play Emrakul. I think you're just happy that your explosive vegetation is taking one off of Emrakul's casting cost since it's in the graveyard. Like that's how I view it. It's just a, just a random bonus and not like you're going to be playing self mill and stuff to get a couple mana off of Emrakul. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that too. Like in this case, like explosive vegetation is basically pay three mana towards your Emrakul. So I think that makes sense. Seth. I mean, to to go primarily into like self mill, um, other than making some sort of weird ever after list that could now somehow be viable. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just really excited. I think if this is the only Eldrazi in the set, I will be happy with that. I just think like. The way a story told, and a lot of people are going to debate this and say it's lazy or whatever. I think it's amazing, even though everyone kind of knew this was coming down down the line like months and months ago. You know, it's it like it's like HP Lovecraft, and that's okay. Like that's okay with me. I don't I don't know I don't see a big deal with it that Emrakul's like the huge big bad guy or bad girl. I guess at this point, Emrakul's a, a woman. That's fine with me. And 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 is this like the is the Outcome of that, Liliana now gets to make a the Black Oath of the Gatewatch. Like, is that just like a byproduct of that? That's fine with me. I I think that's really cool. I I think like Liliana versus Emrakul is pretty much like the coolest thing I've ever seen in in all my years of playing Magic. This just seems like awesome. Like a whole plane of zombies. Like this Liliana's resurrecting like hundreds of zombies versus like this giant monster it's like it just seems really insane i don't know so kudos to wizards i i'm really excited for it. i don't know about you uh both of you just in terms of like the story direction uh, and the implications of that um i think it would be good to get both of your thoughts on that too uh the story's fine i, I think you're right they're not gonna go you know, we, we've already had the blocks where it's like oh look space aliens watch out right so now it's more of the let's see everything on innistrad transformed and corrupted uh, I think we'll see things like what was that wolf horror? What was our what was our spoiler card set? <laughs> oh, scourge, scourge wolf, scourge wolf. You'll see cards like that, right? You'll see cards that are now werewolf horror, wolf horror, uh, angel horror. My the most intriguing thing of this morning's news is the Gisela Bruna, uh, corrupted hybrid, freaky skinless thing so i think cards like that are the main pull of the set i think that that's what they're going to play on and i wouldn't be surprised if we saw a new variation on flip cards like the front side is actually a werewolf the back side is a werewolf horror maybe we'll actually even see the the two flip cards do you guys remember maro talking about how he wanted like if you have like three cards and then they flip uh all together on some condition and you combine them into one emerald and he was talking about that and the Gisela Bruna thing might actually be it, right? You get two front faces and they somehow flip together into like the fused thing in the back. So maybe we get some Dragon Ball action going on with fusion. They flip into the, to big furry monster. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, though, do you think this is just like a new Phyrexia then essentially where we had like, oh, uh, Darksteel Colossus is corrupted into Blightsteel Colossus. There was a lot of cards like that in the end of Shadow uh, Scars of Mirrodin block. Are you expecting something like that, like original Innistrad stuff, but the like corrupted by Emrakul version? Is that kind of your theory? That's exactly what I was getting at. But now that you mentioned that, it seems kind of lame. <laughs> it sounded so much better in my head, right? It sounded so much better. But now you're like, oh, that's just new Phyrexia. Oh, okay. Well, I still think that's cool. I mean, it's kind of funny that this coincided, and not to go too off topic, but like Whispers of the Old Gods for Hearthstone, like, oh, Cthulhu, like, oh, we get our, you know, crazy little loot hoarder, and now he's like a four mana 4-2 with like all these tentacles coming out of him. 
So it's kind of like weird that like these both kind of staggered releases, like, oh, they have Cthulhu and all these, you know, old gods and all these old corrupted cards. Well, we're going to do the same thing. Here's <laughs> Emrakul and like Snapcaster Mage, but he's four mana and all these like tentacles coming out of him. <laughs> For uh, Back to your original question, Chaz. For me... Number one, yeah, I'm sure. sick of Eldrazi, so <laughs> boo for more Eldrazi. I don't what? care how cool it is. I'm yeah. sick of it. Everyone's sick of it. Like, I seriously, when I go to make a budget magic deck, I think, man, it would be really cool to play like an Eldrazi in this deck because it would work good. And then I remember how much everyone hates Eldrazi, and I literally can't play them because people won't watch the videos because they hate Eldrazi that much. Like, that's people just are sick of Eldrazi. The other yeah. thing is, I'm concerned. Like, this is fine, the Emrakul on Innistrad storyline and all that. I, I'm fine with it. But if this becomes the Planeswalkers chase Emrakul around the multiverse for the next three <laughs> years, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> and here's <laughs> Emrakul 5.0. <laughs> no, I, I, I do think they'll cut it here. Uh, it would make the most logical sense. Like, I mean, I hope. Um, I'm sure they'll cut it here. But like I said, I mean... I, I do understand everyone's kind of sick of it, and I guess does it bother you less if Emrakul is like the only actual Eldrazi in the set, and it's more of like to the fact that of Innistrad just like warped and corrupt, and they're like these weird, crazy, like monstrosity, grotesque, like tentacle things. Yes, that bothers me less. I guess it'll depend on how they execute the like right. corruption of the other characters if they turn into like colorless devoid creatures and blah 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 <laughs> like then i'm gonna be a little upset but if it's just like emrakul's only eldrazi and we get to see these weird darker twisted versions of some old characters i think that's cool i really like that about scars of mirrodin block i liked a lot of those it was almost like time shifted cards but you got to see this alternate reality so i would be happy with that but if we get more actual Eldrazi, or they don't pull off the like corrupted thing in the right way, then I could see myself being disappointed. So I'm just waiting for Giralf and Jissa to be corrupted so I can get my tribal Eldrazi zombie deck going. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be sweet. You make a zombie token that can be sacked to add one colorless mana. <laughs> zombie scions. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right, I'm going to set you up for this one, Seth, because this is something that you wanted to touch on, and I'm going to give you time to rant. I'm setting you up for this one. All right. What if, all right, there's no colorless mana in this set? <laughs> I'm setting you up. This, this is probably the most important time of the cast before we get to uh, fish mail, so I'm setting you up. No colorless mana. What happens? Well, <laughs> I don't know what to say, Chaz. It's it's probably a good thing if there's no colorless mana. My problem is, and I, I warned you I might rant on this, they made colorless mana in Oath of the Gatewatch. It broke magic online. You can't pay for spells right. It, everything is bugged because of this change to the mana system. It broke modern. It's breaking legacy. There were 20 Thought Not Seers in the vintage top eight at Eternal's <laughs> Extravaganza. So it broke every constructed format. And they did all that for one set. Like, I could see if this was a long-term change and they wanted to, like, have this be something going forward, but they just break everything and they're like, oh, okay, here's Emrakul, no colorless mana, we'll just go back to like it was before. So I I don't <laughs> think the payoff of colorless mana is worth all the destruction that came around for doing it for just <laughs> one set. It's so funny because I, I really remember vividly all these conversations when Oz the Gatewatch came out when we did the cast, and... We just had that inclination. I don't know if it was me and you said. We just had this inclination. Like, I doubt we'll ever see these <laughs> colorless mana symbols ever again. Like, every colorless mana symbol on every card in Magic ever created is now these colorless mana symbols for what? And we're likely, like, barely ever going to see them ever again. So for one set, everything changes and, like, everything breaks. And that that's, like, the end of it. Like, that's the last we'll ever see it. Eldrazi are colorless, right? This is the one thing that if you were to use colorless, you would put on. Here's Emrakul, the ultimate Eldrazi, and not even colorless, <laughs> right? So what, what justification is there for ever putting colorless on a card ever again, right? The, the next time you go back, you know, in return to battle for battle for Zendikar or whatever, right? Like, that's, that's it, right? Like, I, I don't know. This is such a flavor fail. Like, why... 
why does Evercold not at least have one colorless mana symbol somewhere? Yeah, I, I was gonna say like they couldn't literally just one like that's all they had. Uh, that's like nitpicking, I guess. I don't know. Maybe yeah. They should have hybrid <laughs> two generic slash colorless, <laughs> <laughs> so that you you get the you get the discounted if you cast with with colorless. Yeah, but we're we're done with breaking mechanics and entire sets <laughs> just for like one cool card. <laughs> I would have settled for pay one colorless, give Emrakul menace until end of turn. <laughs> <laughs> but menace. <laughs> yeah, why 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 does Emrakul have menace? It had a mega menace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I, I was wrong. I, the new Kozilek does have uh, colorless mana. It's actually the only one with it. Well, because Ulamog was released before they introduced <laughs> colorless mana. So we thought, oh, okay, sure, that makes sense, right? So then Kozilek, okay, yeah. But now Evercole is back to the Ulamog <laughs> model, so... Sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I mean... Yeah, it's a little weird. I would see that... I mean, at least one colorless mana symbol. That would have been great, but... That's a minor complaint to me. I don't know, but I guess for everyone that played MTGO during the uh, the Oath of the Gate watch, uh, Carlos Mana Symbol crash it was probably a little more egregious. But you know, I guess these things do happen. <laughs> but I mean, overall, I mean, whoever hired J.R. Martin to write <laughs> the Eldritch Moon storyline, or is it just me, or like, did someone just watch like hold the door? <laughs> Because you know, it's like all these combinations of Emrakul and other words. I'm like, what? What is going on? Like, why are we suddenly getting all this? Like, it's so weird, but cool. I mean, I'm really into the story. I don't really care about the storyline that much. I honestly don't even read those articles most of the time. Right. But from my perspective, I thought they did a really good job just with how they spoiled it. They did like this spoiler trailer a couple days ago with uh, yeah. Marrow showing someone the card. And then today they had a full video and released a full spoiler for Eldrick Moon or not spoiler, the a spoiler trailer video. So I think they are really improving with just like how they're doing this stuff. It's weird because then sometimes they just announce the next year's worth of sets in one sentence form all in the same day. But sometimes they do really good things, which they did this time with spoiling Emrakul. So I was impressed with how they actually went about the spoiling and hyping it up for a week or two before it actually happened. Yeah. I I think you make, I mean, you make a great point. I I, I totally agree with you. And it's like, even if 99% of the community kind of knew it was Emrakul, they still really made it exciting. And I think that's where you're getting at. And I totally agree with you. It was it was still exciting to see it. And then it was like to confirm it. And then the card obviously was was awesome. And I think that's like all presentation, right, Seth? I mean, that's something that we've talked about in numerous casts. Yeah. And I was just really impressed because I, I haven't – I don't remember them putting this much effort into the presentation. Like with the videos they made and the whole thing, everything that went into it, it seemed right. like they actually put some effort into it, which if that's the new normal going forward, that's exciting. And as an added benefit, it didn't involve Will Wheaton, so that was bonus points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, they almost contained all the leaks, right? We, we, they actually managed to hide Emrakul until Little Snafu. They, they actually managed to hide the set symbol. But unfortunately, when they shipped out the promotional products for Eldritch Moon, uh, the, the title and the tracking yeah. or whatever had Emrakul <laughs> in it. So basically last week, everyone knew what's up, Emrakul was coming. So, but aside from that, they actually managed to plug all of the weird leaks. You know, we didn't get a evolving wilds in someone's, uh, parking lot with the mana symbol on it or the set symbol on it. Uh, we didn't get the, the leaked, uh, was it Kozilek or was it Ulamar? I forgot which one leaked. Yeah, Kozilek. We didn't get that. So they, they managed to plug all their internal leaks, but it was unfortunate that they, they shipped something called uh, Emrakul promotional posters or whatever, and people just figured that out. And that's unfortunate. I mean, there obviously that's just something between them and the, and the stores, and I, I just think that's something... I mean, maybe you could just change up like the naming uh, you know, uh, conventions, but I don't know how you really stop that. Just e- EMN promotional posters <laughs> like that that's that very easy to do so I, I i'm sure they'll fix it but uh it's gotten better this is the first spoiler that wasn't leaked uh, in quite a while we've had we've had quite a few leaks in the, for the past few sets bad news everyone uh so the new emerical this goes back to something we were talking about a minute ago the new emerical is card number six in the set 
Okay. And that means because non-artifact colorless cards come first, there are five non-artifact colorless creatures that start with letters before E-M in the alphabet in the set before Emrakul, and then God knows how many after Emrakul. So it looks like the perversion of stuff is going to turn things colorless. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, so colorless werewolves, yeah. Great tidbit of information, I guess. <laughs> kind of invalidated like 15 minutes of discussion. But, you, you can you uh, edit that out if you want. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, cast and cast over. Okay. <laughs> now, this is something that we didn't discuss prior to cast. This is something that's actually like I, I was thinking about. I don't know if Emrakul is going to be the buy a box promo or if it's some card with Emrakul on it, like just Emrakul's name. But let's just assume it is Emrakul. I don't know if there was like any development overlap between Hearthstone's like Whispers of the Old God or something like that, where everyone got Cthulhu. But wouldn't it be really awesome, like, like if Wizard kind of mimics that? Like, it's basically like the same premise of the set, and everyone gets an Emrakul. Like, that's pretty cool. Zero chance. Remember when Emrakul the Aeon's Torn was the promotional card? <laughs> we are way past that. We like the promotional thing was probably a poster or something. But there's no way they would give the Chase Mythic as a buy a box promo. I-, I would be very, very shocked. Okay. That would make for a fun pre-release, since they're playable now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who draws their Emrakul first? Oh, yeah, yeah I guess that, Every that match of every round. <laughs> Maybe this specific set, they would have to, like, all right, this one in particular is not legal. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably would have to, because that sounds pretty miserable. I don't know. I don't. I agree with Richard. I just can't see them doing it. Yeah, they that, that give up too much sense. money. I think is the biggest issue. Yeah, I'm just really excited. I, I just I love Innistrad. I mean, I think like the the return to Innistrad has just been amazing thus far. I really hope we don't get like everything's in Eldrazi now. But I mean, I just want to like at least just wait in one more week or two more weeks. It starts next Monday. Spoilers next start. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Just want to hold off until, uh, you know, I want to pass judgment. But uh, I'm I'm expecting a really good set. I, I don't know. I, I love Innistrad, but the reason I love Innistrad is not because of flying spaghetti monsters on the plane. Right? I like it because of the characters and the stories. I like Jissa. I like Jorelf. I like Thalia. I like Gristlebrand. Right? I like werewolves. I like vampires. Now I hope they don't go away from that. I'm just like, oh, look, everything is corrupted by Eldrazi. Right, so I hope it's just not Battle for Zendikar. <laughs> right. So that's my hope. I hope they actually maintain the flavor of uh, Shadows Over Innistrad, the original Innistrad. And if they do that, then the set will be awesome. But I'm really hoping the Eldrazi presence is really toned down. I'm excited right. and also a little apprehensive. I think I'm between the two of you. Like I'm a little worried that it's going to feel too Eldrazi-ish, but I'm still excited because Emrakul looks sweet and I really like Innistrad. So. I'm taking the wait-and-see attitude as well. I could see it going either way. I think I'm either going to really love this set or I'm going to be really disappointed. And I I won't know until we see more cards. (laughs) Fair enough. Before we get into the the fish mail, we did actually want to touch on one more uh, quick thing. Just looking at standard before everything um, inevitably changes again with the release of Eldritch Moon and and our uh, (laughs) giant Eldrazi uh, matriarch, uh, Emrakul, messing everything up. Tom Ross going on a tear. Yeah, let's just talk about uh, what we saw, like what what standard, uh, you know, just the kind of fleeting whispers of standard before everything changes again. Uh, Richard, you wanted to bring up a few points. Yeah, so first, Tom Ross is just absurd. This is his third SCG Open Top 8 in a row, and he's won two of them. Uh, I think someone computed his match win percentage as 80%. Uh, over the past three tournaments. So like, I, I don't know what he's doing, but it's absurd. And he's playing basically the, the Craig Wesco special white weenie. Uh, but so is everyone else in the format. Uh, so I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Like what, what has standard become where we're just battling white weenie decks against each other? And, uh, there, there is no reason to play any other color right now. Like you have the best removal and the best creatures and you have Archangel Avicen for fun and you have Gideon ally of Zendikar. And if things continue the way they are, like, you're never even going to cast your 8-mana Emrakul because you're dead on turn 4. So what, what do you guys think about Standard, and where does this rank in, in Standard formats, given the dominance of White? 
I, I do think white is, you know, the color is dominant. I mean, you, like you said, you, I mean, you just have so many good cards in that color. You got Thalia's Lieutenant, you know, Decoration Stone, Avison, all these cards. I, I do think it, you, you know, you do want to take a step back and, and pause. I mean, Tom Ross is on a tear. I mean, white, I mean, humans lists are very prevalent in the format, but there are other decks that have a very good win percentage and percentage of dominance too, like green, white tokens, all these, you know, the, the, just kind of new resurgence of that blue, red Eldrazi control list that has done very, fairly well for itself. So I do think there are some, uh, alternative, uh, directions to go other than just humans as, as we've covered this standard since the first, uh, you know, when Shadows of Innistrad was released from the doom and gloom of, oh, you know, collected companies just going to be everywhere. It's all just going to be collected company list to now where it's like mono white humans is like really good and even beats out the, the company list. Like there's been a lot of ebbs and flows in the standard. And I, I think that's really healthy for the format. I mean, not only has this standard Shadows of Innistrad standard been cheap, it's actually one of the cheapest standards, if not the cheapest standards, like the past like at least four years seth and i just talked about this uh the, the last week like there's still iterations of yeah like collected company but there's still like now there's like human company lists and like bank company and how how those all evolved and then like humans have incorporated red so you know i think it's been interesting week in and week out for for shadows over Innistrad standard uh i'm getting kind of sick of it oh <laughs> <It's>, man <laughs> there's i mean it is cool and I like the changes, but it seems like things are solidifying more and more to green, white tokens, uh, white or white, red humans in company decks, uh, the Bant company decks, uh, the Bant human company decks. Like those decks make up almost 60% of the meta, according to the database. And that's fine, but uh, it's getting less exciting for me now. So I'm. I'm ready for a new set to shake things up a little bit. And <laughs> but I don't I don't think I don't think things are going to change too much cuz white is absurd. Like we've been we talked about white being absurd. It was pretty yeah. obvious to everyone like from spoiler season that white had so many really powerful cards and that is pretty much played out. Like 29 of the top 32 decks at this week's SCG uh, open had white in them, either primarily white or partly white, like Bant or Naya or those colors. So white is really good, and I don't expect that to change, uh, even with a new set being released, because those cards are just so powerful. The problem is there's no other colors worth playing. Uh, basically, red, blue, black, there's nothing there worth playing. And the cards you do play from those colors are like splash cards, like I'm going to play Chandra Flame Collar off of Oath of Nyssa. Basically, all of the good creatures uh, are are green and white, and your best removal in Declaration in Stone is in white, and your best Planeswalkers, uh, Nyssa and Gideon, are uh, green-white, and then the best kind of creature, Archangel, kind of the curve topper, is in white. So there, there's actually very little reason to play any of the other colors, and that's why all the decks kind of center around these, and you have to play something like Off the Wall, uh, like Seasons Pass, or like you are flyers or something to, to go elsewhere. Um, but most of the metagame are these decks, and it's just not very diverse. Like, you really can't do anything, right? Like, you can't... You, you need to play these cards to, to be competitive. So I think we're actually at the Siege Rhino stage, uh, where all the decks kind of look the same, and there, there is a clear best card in the format, and everyone's building around them. To me, this is the same as when Bant Company, or Collected Company, was dominant, kind of like the Aristocrats, time or, or uh the siege rhino time uh we're in that time and we still got a month of standard to go before uh eldritch moon hits so it's just declaration of stone is just too strong i think i think that that was the push there's no reason to play black for removal like no one's playing any of the black removal spells because you have stasis near you have declaration of stone, yeah what so. what kind of weird world do we live in where green has the best card advantage and collected company and tireless tracker and white has the best removal and the best creatures like usually 
that's what makes standard diverse overall is blue gets the best card advantage. Uh, black gets the best removal. Green gets the best creatures. And it's kind of divided up. So each colors have things uh, that it does better than everything else. So that's why you have blue-black control decks. You get good removal, good card draw. That's why white and red are typically aggro because you have burn spells and efficient creatures. But everything is a little out of whack because all of the good stuff is focused in green and in white, like stuff that blue or black would normally do well. Instead, in this standard, it's white and green that are doing the blue and black things. Yep, and then no one's doing the red thing, no lightning strike. <laughs> Just straight up out of the format. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess people's attention spans and, and I guess tolerance level has gotten very, very thin after, I guess, such long, drawn-out standards of Siege Rhino and stuff like that. I'm I'm not really of the mindset that we're in Siege Rhino mode. I, I do understand that like green white tokens and mono white humans and collected company lists like do take up a good percentage of the meta, but like there I, I wouldn't say there's nothing else viable. It, I mean we just saw like this blue red Eldrazi list just come into like I guess become a thing just recently and it's it's decent enough. I mean it's 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 rocking at least at least close to 10% of the meta, so it's not terrible. I mean, I don't know. It Like, four-color rights lists are still around. Those get played fairly often. The The problem is lack of evolution from the Pro Tour, right? Coming out of the Pro Tour, green-white tokens was the best deck in the format. Here we are, like, several months down the line, and green-white tokens, best deck in the format, right? Up there with humans, and humans lists were also prevalent at the Pro Tour. So that's the, the problem, right? There's always going to be... Uh, tier 2 decks or tier 1.5 decks, but the format really hasn't shifted at all. Uh, you just like Tom Ross is bringing the same list and just crushing tournaments like week after week, right? Like, that, I think that's the problem, right? Like, there, there's no room because the cards are so good, it hasn't really changed at all. And at least with Siege Rhino, uh, you kept trying to jam different colors in. Same with Collected Company, you kept trying to add different colors. Uh, so you had that little mini game there, but uh, here it's just white green. Here you go. For me, it's not so much that the decks make up a big percentage, but I've kind of been keeping an eye on it over the last week or two. And it seems like that percentage is consistently growing, which yeah. makes me think that more and more players are like slowly. It was 40%, then it was 45 then 50%. Now it's above 50%. So instead of players figuring out a way of beating those decks over the last couple weeks it seems like instead people are giving up and like all right i'm just gonna play green white tokens or bant humans or whatever and they keep getting more and more power and i don't know if there's anything in our current standard that can shift that or if it's just gonna slowly keep heading that direction until we get the new set release so that's why my opinion is slightly different now than when we talked about it a couple weeks ago true because uh, it, it feels like it's heading more in that direction instead of new lists popping up it's becoming more solidified with these decks being far and away the best three in the format yeah I, I, and i can understand that um I, I do think it'll get shaken up a little bit uh, obviously i don't i don't foresee anything like really muscling collected company out of the format but to to say like the a linear aggressive list is going to be the best list going forward, I mean there always just seems to be something that can contend with like linear aggro lists. Like I remember back to the original Innistrad, as good as Mono Red was with uh, you know Hellrider and Falconrath Aristocrat and stuff like that, Black Red, there was always viable lists to kind of muscle it out and um, you know make room for themselves. I, I do think we'll find some good answers to, you know, mono white linear aggressive list. Well, I mean, there there is no answer in the current standard, right? But you know, I'm sure when Elvish Moon comes around, there, you know, the card will be different and there'll be answers. But uh, we live in a world where language is not enough, apparently, where Radiant Flames is not enough. Because if they were, then people could just come and hate out all these aggro decks. But uh, it's not happening. No, and and that's what I was saying. I, I do think that there there could be some tools in Eldritch Moon. You make a great point. I mean, Languish is largely not enough. Uh, Radiant Flames got so much worse with. Uh, oh, I forget the ability now. Um, Converge becoming so much worse without fetch lands. Uh, it basically just got worse than Anger of the Gods, and it's like so much harder to play. And you're right. I mean, there's just no very like viable option to stop linear list from just taking over yeah well plus you have thalia's lieutenant and always watching to pump your creatures out of uh out of pyroclasm range basically 
the good news is though, I don't think white can get much better from Eldritch Moon. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe because so, it's source the plowshares. like a nine point five <laughs> out of ten. So it's gonna be really hard for them to improve on white very much. So hopefully the other colors uh, get some good tools to help equal out the difference that we're seeing right now between white and green and the other colors. All right, let's move on to fish mail. Yeah, let's get some fish mail going. Uh, so I don't think we, this was from last week, but I don't think we actually answered this, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Uh, from Jake Lacey 91 uh, when are we going to see you guys form an MTG Goldfish team equipped with jerseys and appear at GPs? That actually sounds really awesome. <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. Given given that Seth only plays Moto, <laughs> uh, given that uh, we're not good at magic, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's happening. <laughs> uh, but it, it would be cool to go to some Grand Prix and meet people, but I, I don't know about competing. And I and I also don't know about jerseys. I, I will wear yeah. my Goldfish t-shirt, but I'm not wearing the team metagame guru, <laughs> Guru's jerseys. You could, you could not pay I was me just enough. About no to no say offense that. to anyone. I was just about to say that. What if we get those uh, sweet jerseys? We're getting you a bright orange Goldfish <laughs> no. jersey. <set. laughs> I, I like, I like the, the sleek black version with the white logo. I'll stick with that one. That's the one I got. Courtesy, well. Yeah, courtesy of Richard. Thank you. Well, well, here, to, to be more meta, because there is no coverage, what advertising am I getting? True. That's true. Right? It's a, it's a chicken and egg problem, right? Wizards doesn't invest in coverage. Why would I invest in, you know, professional magic, sponsoring pros and stuff like that? So True. You could just sponsor us. We would cost a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> it, it also, it's, it's more of like a logistics thing, too. I mean, all three of us are, like, in very different spots. <laughs> very, very different spots. Richard decided to go out to California. You know, Seth and I, well, Seth, well, I alternate between New York and Florida. Seth is a New Yorker. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not like we all live next to each other and it's like, oh, we got a GP an hour or two away. We can just like go hit it up. We're all like scattered across the country, which makes it challenging. I still think it would be fun to do, but yeah. I just don't really have... I like having fun playing Magic, and for me trying to grind to the through the scg tour or grind through gps to get pro points that doesn't really appeal to me i want to go and like play some jank and have fun and hopefully win some matches but so if i show up at a gp that would be more my uh what i would be going for it would be to have fun play some cool games meet people and that would be the goal not to like necessarily win and even if i did win my goal wouldn't be to like do this every weekend for the rest of the year so i can yeah, try exactly. to like make a pro tour or something at island del rigo uh got a foil toxic deluge and a foil shardless agent how long do you think i should wait before trading slash selling i don't think it would be bad to to hold on to those i mean the first foil printings uh i'm those two are pretty sure on the list right yeah okay so the the, the first foil printing cards, I would definitely hold on to. I mean, I, I don't foresee a very immediate reprint of, you know, especially in foil uh, for quite some time. So, I mean, I would hold on to them, especially the foil, foil Toxic Deluge because, I mean, that's pretty good in um, Commander and, and stuff like that as well. So that could really be a winner over the next, like, year, year and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of holding the first printing foils from eternal yeah. masters. The other yeah. foils are not as appealing, but if it, this is their first actual foil printing, I think you're pretty safe to hold them. Uh, so that would be my, my take on it. Yep. At Sinfoid, uh, this is magic online. Why do sets go up in value after they stop being the current draft format? Uh, should I buy shadows over Innistrad slash Eldritch moon after the Kaladesh release? So after the current draft format, and that's because people are picking up the cards for redemption at that point, and there's no longer supply. Uh, yeah, that's the biggest reason uh, that the price goes up, because uh, the main way that supply gets into the market on Magic Online is through drafts. And once the draft format ends, then you're not getting all those cards entering uh, the market on a daily basis. So that's the main reason that the prices go up. I'm a little confused about the timing of the second part of that question. N normally... I would be looking at buying like Oath of the Gate Watch slash maybe Battle for Zendikar, uh, but more Oath of the Gate Watch and maybe Shadows over Innistrad. 
around when Eldrick Moon releases, with the plan being that they're going to probably go up around fall rotation. So I would be, they usually hit a low point a set or two after the set releases, and then at the next rotation is usually the high point, or just after the next rotation. So that's the timing that I've seen most people use as far as buying sets on Magic Online. Okay. Uh, at Peter Pascua, uh, planning to build sets liver deck, and I usually eBay. But other than positive feedback, any knowledge about uh, eBay Magic the Gathering fakes? Well, the good news is, from my experience with eBay, they tend to side on the behalf of the buyer. So it's it's pretty hard as a buyer to actually lose out on eBay. Uh, so even if you think you get something that is not legitimate, you should be able to get your money back. Uh, that said, just look for feedback. Uh, if something is way too good to be true, like you see people like, oh, there's Wastelands for $20. Like that is most likely fake because no one in their right mind is going to sell a Wasteland for $20. So those would be my tips. Like just make sure the person has some amount of positive feedback and it's not way too good to be true or else it probably is uh, something sketchy. Yeah, I, I agree with Seth. And and yeah, it's not really a huge arduous process. Like if you do get some, something and it looks a little shady or awkward, um, you can do the proper test to, to tell if it's fake. And I mean, it would just be easy to either just get your money refunded, send it back or do whatever. So, yeah, I, I would I would um, other I would look for the feedback and, and the other things Seth uh, said as well. Okay, at Nick Hetty 636 when Shadows first came out, I thought Thing in the Ice would find a home in Modern and just be a good card in general. What happened? It could still be a good card in Modern. Maybe it's just, you know, nothing's happened yet. It's just one of those cards that, you know, has a long lifespan. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those cards that is is sort of future-proof, I guess, in a sense that... It really just kind of depends on the spells being played around it and the spells being introduced into modern. And that's kind of like where everyone came from, where, you know, you always kind of get that, you know, the future proof of, well, if better spells get uh, printed and more, you know, cantrips or something like that, it gets easier to play thing in the ice. Sort of like collected company. But yeah, I mean, no, no results so far. So I don't know what happened, to be truthful. I mean, maybe, uh, I don't know. I think it's of a power level where it could be playable in modern at some point, but I think it's just not in a good place in the metagame. Like, yeah, J Jund and Jeskai control are big decks, and they don't have any problem uh, killing a thing in the ice with Path to Exile or Abrupt Decay. And then the other big decks are, in fact, Affinity and Suicide Zoo, which are most likely just too fast for thing in the ice. They're going to fly over thing in the ice with uh, Ink Moth Nexus, with Cranial Platings, and Suicide Zoo uh, can go over them with Teamer Battle Rage and stuff. So I think the metagame just isn't in a good place for thing in the ice right now, but that could change at some point in the future. Yeah, I think I agree with Seth. I think it's just not a good card. Top deck gets a terrible card. Uh, an 0-4 wall doesn't get there. Like, against aggro decks, they just attack in Atarka's command and, and go through your wall. Uh, and, you know, the... The creature itself is not that hard to deal with. Path to Exile exists in the format, so you can just kill it. Uh, so I don't think it's that good of a card, and we're not going to get powerful cantrips. Like, Serum Visions is the most powerful cantrip you can get, so it's not like you can sit there and chain Ponders and Brainstorms and Serum Visions to flip this thing. So I just don't think it's going to be a good card, but uh, we'll, we'll see, right? When more cards get printed, it may get better. Uh, there may be just a critical mass of good instants or sorceries, but... As it stands now, it's it's kind of just an 0-4 wall that uh, will pretty much die uh, when it flips. Yep. Uh, J is for Junior. Looking to upgrade my budget affinity list for the upcoming GPT. Uh, which is more powerful, Mox, Opal, or Arcbound Ravager? Chaz, our affinity expert, what do you say? Uh, both, but... <laughs> it, it really depends on the quantity I think ra I think you can get away with less opals than you can with Ravager. Ravager just enables the the quick Ink Moth Nexus kills, you know, out of nowhere. But I mean, at the same time, Opal kind of enables these crazy, you know, first turn regurgitate my hand plays. But I, I think if you had to choose one, I, I would lean towards Ravager. Okay, at Drew M O nine. Uh, what software slash hardware do you use to record your games on Magic Online? 
Seth? Uh, I use OBS as a recorder. It's free. It is really easy to use. And I've tried a couple of different ones. XSplit I tried. And I think OBS is the best and the easiest to use out of all of them. And then I use Lightworks for the editing, So though, and which is also free. So those would be the the two programs I would point you towards. The only other thing is you need to convert the videos from how they come out of OBS to how they go into uh, the editing program, and you can use like iframe video converter. There's a bunch of them, uh, but something that converts a FLV file to a MP4 file. So those are the three things you need, uh, the three things I use for all my videos. Okay. Uh, from the Chad USMC, how do I avoid losing value while chasing the hot deck in a format, i.e. trading your current deck in for a new one. If you if you're kind of trying to use those trends and you know you just want to play the best deck in the format and you were playing previous deck best deck in the format, you kind of have to wait until you know things in your current list spike or you know you're getting decent trades at your FNM. I mean, it's really hard to lay because you're always going to lose a little bit of value when, you know, you're trying to play the best deck of a format, but you know, especially in standard in modern, it might be a little better. Like if affinity, you know, some, if you bought affinity a little while ago, now it's kind of appreciated over time. It'll be a little easier to, you know, trade in and go to Jund or something like that, whether, if something, you know, everything's on the decline because no one wants to play that deck anymore, you're always going to lose a little bit of value if everyone's jumping ship to the next best deck. Uh, for me, I think, and this might be cheating on the answer, but the ultimate is when you can kind of see a deck coming. Like uh, yeah. the, the blue-red Eldrazi deck, you notice it starts to win. It's kind of down in tier three. If you can realize that that's going to be the fourth most played deck in the format and that's a deck you want to play if you can get that when it's tier three and kind of predict that right that's how you actually can break even or actually come out ahead in money at the same time if you're like playing mono white humans and you want to switch to bank company there's not much you can do like those decks are what they are and there's probably not going to be any huge price swings in the near future. So you just got to kind of suck it up and deal with it. So the best bet is try to find a tier two or tier three deck that you think has potential to end up tier one in a month or two and try to get in on that early before the prices increase. Uh, from the Todd one out, when is the best time to pick up rotating singles? I would say a little bit after rotation, like at least maybe four to six months. Yeah, from what I've looked at it, I found that casual cards, if you're interested right. in like things for Commander or something, a lot of times are at their absolute low just before rotation. And then competitive cards, your Thought Seizes, Abrupt Decays, Shocklands, are usually at their low a few months after rotation. So before a few months before rotation, maybe three months before rotation for casual-only cards, and then for competitive cards a few months after rotation is what I've found. Yep, absolutely. At Sugi time, I have a full modern Infect deck uh, on Magic Online. I want to convert to Legacy on the cheap. Can I get some suggestions? Uh, well, you can build Legacy Infect, but that's not exactly on the cheap. Uh, so <laughs> all you have is just the the beginner budget decks. I know Seth put out an article recently, uh, maybe a month or two ago, about Legacy budget options. Uh, you can always go Dredge. Um, you go Burn. Uh, but if you want to play modern, uh, you want to play Infect and Legacy, you can always just play, you know, Infect. But a lot of the expensive cards, uh, will be, uh, cards you don't own. Force of Will, Days, Wasteland, Dual Lands. But the good news is on Magic Online, they're fairly cheap, so it's not as bad as biting the bullet, uh, in the paper world. Uh, yeah, and some of those cards are in Eternal Masters, so it's not a bad time to get Dazes and Wastelands if that's something that you want to do. They're cheaper than they were a few months ago because of Eternal Masters. Uh, at Edowind, uh, is it worth it to non-Phantom Draft Eternal Masters on Magic Online, Seth? From a financial perspective, no. It's awesomely fun, and I really love the format, but unless you're a 70% maybe <laughs> uh, match win percentage drafter, something ridiculous like 
pro-level drafter, it's going to be really hard to come out ahead financially. You're better off just playing phantom drafts and enjoying it that way. So follow-up question. If you win an 8-4, is it worth it to crack all your packs? <laughs> no. Uh, apparently, yes, because I did that on stream. How much money uh, did you open no, from your packs? Basically zero. <laughs> I think every one of my rares was like... 0.2 ticks or something so i opened like 60 dollars worth of hacks and maybe got like two tickets in return i think of cards so d- please don't do that <laughs> good job seth <laughs> i don't that open all button <laughs> why why i think it's there just to trap people like me who think they're clicking open one like what is the purpose of opening all on magic online that's only there to cause feel bad what, what is the purpose of open one well if you want to open 50 packs you don't want to sit there and click 50 times you just want to say open all right <laughs> but you should never want to open 50 packs or even one pack on magic online <laughs> it's never a good idea <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, Taylor G, sensitive topic. You guys used to post metagame breakdown of favorable matchups that I believe Wizards asked you to take down. Can you explain why non-pros who don't test this, uh, have been denied this resource? Uh, so the, the answer has always been the same, right? The answer is Wizards feels it accelerates the game. Uh, we don't have to do anything they ask and, uh, but they control the means of the data. And so we listen to Wizards because they control the data. Other people did not, and Wizards blocked all that data. And then we lost other features because of that. So, uh, you know, Good job. you can make that argument, but it's, <laughs> it's, not up, it's not up to us, right? It's, it's how Wizards runs their R&D. Uh, you can have a discussion as to why you think it's beneficial. I think it's beneficial, but this has been discussed numerous times. But at the end of the day, we don't really have anything, right? It's, it's kind of under Wizards' control uh, as to how they want their, their data disseminated. Uh, your your other option is to start a pro team and run the gauntlet yourself and and get the data. <laughs> yeah. Um, mean mean pork. Uh, I'm a super genius, and nobody else understands how good Myth realized is. What are some of your favorite pet cards that you forced into formats that have no business being in? Well, I don't know if I'm a super genius, but um. I can't even remember any card that I was just like, you know what? I love playing this card so much. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. I'm just going to play this card in X format. I kind of, I kind of feel that way towards like Mayor of Averbuck. I don't know why, but like every time I look at them, I'm like, man, this card can be like, I feel like this card could be good. I don't know why no one plays it. <laughs> and then I realize no one really does play it, and I, I don't really want to try to make it good. So. Uh, for me, I think the one that sticks out the most is Sphinx's Tutelage. I I don't even want to count how many Sphinx's Tutelage videos I've made in various formats over the last year. <laughs> uh, so that one comes to mind as being the card that I jam everywhere, whether I should or not. It's just so fun to build around, and it fits my playstyle of loving to draw cards. I can just like play this enchantment and draw cards, and it wins me the game. What could be better than that? Or Starfield of Nyx. Yeah, I, that would that be also on the list <laughs> somewhere. My cards aren't as egregious, but Gatekeeper of Malakir and Tragic Slip. Uh, everyone always has to read it. <laughs> read those two cards when I play them, and I occasionally throw them in my Jund deck and try to force them in Modern. Uh, I'm still convinced Tragic Slip is a pretty decent card, but I don't know, just something about that flavor. Just like, you slipped, and then you somehow did 13 damage to yourself. <laughs> uh, it would kill Emrakul if Emrakul didn't have protection from uh, instance. <laughs> from instance. But you could morbid Emrakul. And I, I have morbided Ulamogs. Uh, I have killed Infect through Wild Defiance <laughs> with Tragic Slips. So uh, it's certainly a fun card. While I have died many a times holding it, facing down a Wild Nakadal with nothing else in hand. <laughs> it felt very sad as well. So uh, Yeah. Uh, I think I think if if it's going to be the next one I choose, it's Arlen Cord. I'm going to make that card. I'm going to play oh, that card in modern. So I think. <laughs> what? No, it's get so out of bad. here. <laughs> it never it never does what you want. It's like the betrayal card. <laughs> it's like I want you to I want you to lightning bolt something. Nope, can't do it. I want you to make a wolf. Uh, nope, can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. Ah. <laughs> she has her own mind. She doesn't listen to you. She's just like, nope, I'm my own planeswalker too. I'm just going to do what I want. I mean, she is like, maybe she's going senile or something. 
Uh, I believe that's all of our fish mail for this week. Awesome. Uh, I think that I think that uh, covers everything, right? We did fish mail. Yep. Super hype podcast. Awesome to talk about new Emrakul. Can't wait for spoilers next week. It's going to be great. Gentlemen, I think that wraps up this podcast. Any kind of final thoughts out the door? No, uh, we're hoping for not all colorless giant spaghetti monsters. I think that's the consensus here. I, I hope Thalia doesn't get corrupted. Come on, Thalia. You, you can pull through. Don't don't become... What if we get a, a super, like a better Thalia, but not no, corrupted? No, Thalia is a human. She's representing humans fighting off all these like crazy monsters. What like? No, no, no. I get no like a four man Athalia. Oh, something oh, like, that, like that a big something. human one, not not a big. Yeah, one. right. Ah, uh, that's that's weird. Humans need to be like two ones. <laughs> <laughs> they just gotta have like very annoying effects. <laughs> it's gonna be a four man of five five. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. We will do this next time. Everyone out there, thanks for the fish mail. Thanks for sending those in each week. Uh, super hype podcast. Uh, it's going to be even better next week when we get actual uh, spoilers to discuss. Can't wait. So uh, we will see you all next time. And this is The Crew signing out.